Welcome to a special edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino series with the prolific and talented Michigan-based author and musician Josh Mallerman. Our last interview was done way back in 2014, prior to the success of the adaptation of his book Bird Box into Netflix fame. It became the most watched film on Netflix within 28 days of release. We talked about his life that has changed considerably after that release, delved into this strange COVID world, new projects, and so much more. He's gearing up to release his new book, Daphne, in September of 2022, and he has a brand new music project hatched over the pandemic that he talks about. It goes back to the past, but it's still new. This grounded, cool cat is always refreshing and full of needed wisdom in a world always looking for Ted Lasso-style inspiration. Dig this interview. Man, it's so good to reconnect with you, dude. If we would have, back in 2014, said, look, on planet Earth on 2022, this is what's going to be going on, we would be like, there's just no way. Yeah, no shit. I know. (laughs) I'm one of those guys who was was ambushed by all this. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have friends that, like, seemingly saw, like, the whole Trump thing coming and the whole, you know, and all this. And and I'm just like, not me. I, I did not see any of this coming. I thought we were all like, like past the past like moments like that or something. And and even this thing going on in Ukraine, I, I'm I was just naive or dumb enough to be like that kind of thing can't happen now. And, and and here we are. You know, I remember when Obama was in office, they went to Crimea and they did all this invasion shit, but it kind of didn't really go anywhere, or there wasn't as much of a resistance. So I'm thinking. How the hell is he going to pull this off now? And now I'm thinking, who is truly more batshit crazy, Putin or Trump? Or did they just switch scripts? Or have they all been drinking out of the same well? Because they're both just totally delusional, believing something I know. that's totally fictitious. Yeah, and it, 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 it's so weird because here, like, if I lied to you right now, I would feel super guilty and strange and fucked up. If I lied online, I would feel really fucking weird. Like, what am I doing lying to a bunch of people? These guys literally stand up in front of the world, the world, and, like, daily lie. And, like, like we, like, Vladimir Putin's, like, you know, puts out the, the, the state media, you know, reason for entering Ukraine. And we're like, we all know that's not true. But he's still saying it and doing it. Trump, same thing every day. Uh, the election's rigged. We all know that's not true. You know it's not true. Still doing it. I don't, like, is that, like, psychopath behavior? Is that sociopath? Is that, like, what is that? You know, the thing that's strange is, you know, as an author, as a writer, a very, very, very good writer, you get to the crux of, like, character development. And I'm thinking with these two, when they were kids, were they the last kids picked for kickball notoriously every time? I mean, there's something about that it wasn't accepted at some point in their lives that make them feel like they have to bully the world. Yeah, you, you have to be right. Like, something, like, again, because it's very easy to just assume that these, you know, world leaders are these, like, giant inhuman personalities. Well, no, they're actually men and women who, as you're describing, grew up and had childhoods and experiences. And you and I are literally here saying, like, we couldn't even tell one lie. These guys are literally, that's all they do. And you, so at some point you have to say to yourself, how did this happen? Where did this yeah. come about? What, what, not only, it's like this, like, insatiable um, desire to prove how strong you are. Whether it's through lying, whether it's through, like, total treachery and madness, it's like, I'm strong, and that's all that matters. So weird. It's like an alternate reality. It's like David Lynch 
and the Twilight Zone mix themselves up and spit out all these weird scenarios. And Putin and Trump are one of them. It's like, wow, how did this happen? I, I guess to segue out of the, the murkiness of Trump and all that, I have to say up front, I just, I, it, took, it, it, it didn't take me that long, but I read The House at the Bottom of the Lake. Dude, that is like the best love letter I have ever read in my life. And, and knowing you a little bit from the interview before and reading your material, what a wonderful book, dude. Just, I loved it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hold on. Follow inside yeah. now. Now. My dog just went after uh It's all good. Uh, oh, my God. My dog is really <laughs> sweet and loud. Um, thank you. Yeah. My God. That's amazing. Uh, you know, I was writing that book almost like, how do I explain it? Like, almost kind of just the challenge myself. I had finished another book, and I was, like, kind of close to working on another one. And between the two, I was like, you know, I'm going to write this, like, shorter novel, you know. I was about 30 pages in, and I called my manager. I was like, actually, I, I, don't, I don't think this is just some sort of challenge. I, I think this is a good one. And I, and I started talking to him about, like, can you imagine the movie of this and whatever. So my, I guess my point is, it's almost like, I think Burbach kind of started this way, too, where... It, just, it was a very, like, easy entry into it. It just felt like, yeah, let's do this. Eh, we'll see where it goes. Bah, you know, like that. And then early on into it, you're like, oh, wait, 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 we got something here. And that's, you know, as a writer, that's about the most exciting feeling in the world. Well, and, and I could totally see it as a movie. And yesterday, a good friend of mine called me up and said, dude, have you seen this Val Kilmer movie? It's on, you know, the, the documentary about his life, and we were talking about it. And I will never get over that scene in that movie he made where he had that fight underwater <laughs> what was he yeah, that film? yeah. So I was, top secret yeah top secret and they're underwater yeah. and i mean the whole thing is so over the top that once they got <laughs> underwater and started fighting it's like holy shit you're so slapstick crazy you're like there's nothing that's going to surprise me about this film yeah man um, that movie i i don't know how old you are but that movie when it, when it came out was like i remember just like being astonished by it when i was a kid you know I'm like, oh, this movie, like, and Val Kilmer, like everything about it was like so, is like a bizarre take on Hollywood. Like he had like matinee idol looks. It was the weirdest like fucking movie and funniest movie ever. I love yeah. that movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it was you know, and I'm gonna be 50 this year, so it was like that was like childhood. I remember watching it, the cow falling down and breaking to pieces, just all that weird yeah. humpy dumpty like fairy tale bullshit. It's like this is genius, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So. You know, speaking of being a writer and, and, and a musician and being, you're, you're knee deep in creativity every day. Tell me, what was the last public thing you did before, say, March 12th or 13th of 2020? And how much did you say, oh, fuck, when everything started getting canceled? Great question. Um, it, because it's, um, it's probably clear, a clear memory for everybody what their last one was. For us, Allison and I went to Chicago for like a Comic-Con like kind of thing. And I was on a panel there with Joe Hill. I like met him for the first time. And Daniel Krause, um, an amazing author, and Christina Henry. And it was just this amazing panel. And I felt like I had like made like three friends in one minute, you know? And then we're all like saying our goodbyes. And, you know, after we signed books and whatever, yeah, like we'll, we'll meet up, we'll do this, whatever. And then now, and then we drove, Alice and I drove away and, and started heading home, and it was kind of foggy out. And it will always feel like we drove into the midst of, like, a new world. 
Like that, we had no idea that that was the last thing that we would be doing publicly for years. And so we we leave there, you know, or when we get back to Detroit, the whole world kind of shuts down. It, I think this was in like, I think it was early early March 2020. And obviously yeah. there was already talking. Like the NBA maybe had already abandoned its season, so there was obviously uh-huh. stuff that's happening, right? But yeah. we didn't we didn't know. And and you you know you were you're like maybe this lockdown or whatever will last a few months you know you start thinking that way so in hindsight that chicago experience was like it's become almost like like this horrific harbinger you know (laughs) it's like yeah it's like this memory of like bye bye civilization bye humanity you know and then all of a sudden (laughs) lockdown and at first i handled it really well i was planning on writing a novel anyway in april and so I wrote one, I guess you can argue, live, as live as it gets, on my website. I don't know if you know about this. It's, um, it's, I serialized a book. Like, I wrote a chapter, rewrote it, posted it. Wrote a chapter, rewrote it, posted it. Um, did that for, like, two months. And that there's a full novel that's longer than Bird Box up on my website that's just sitting there for free. And, and it has been for since April 2020. And it turned into a really fun event when this musician Chris Campbell started doing a soundtrack for each chapter and Shane Douglas Keene started writing a poem for each chapter and other people were writing short stories that like kind of spun off it and people were doing illustrations and sending photos and it became sort of like we're all locked down let's do a group art project together is what it kind of turned into so and again at that point I'm thinking this is what I'm going to do for the lockdown, you know, these few months that we're at home. I'm going to write a novel. Well, when that came to an end, you know, and we're in like June and July or whatever, then all of a sudden it started to feel like, wait a minute, that wasn't the end of this. Now what are you going to do? And the walls kind of started to close in there for me. You know, that's fascinating. And I think that's a component of this whole thing that no one expected to happen is that the world community in a way, you know, because coming from our age bracket, like, can you imagine if this happened in 85 or 1980 when there was no real connectivity in the world? It's like we were afforded the opportunity with high technology to be connected, to have a worldwide universe, you know, where everybody's like, yeah, you're, 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 you're this writer. You're putting this out. I'm a musician. I'm a poet. I'm this. Everybody kind of fed off of this beautiful mutation to kind of blot out this blight that was happening on the planet. You're 100% right. And, and that's one of the, like, we all, and, and we rightfully so, we all, you know, begrudge Twitter and social media and these kind of things. And at the same time, like, where the fuck would we have been without, without this sort of connectivity oh, during that man. pandemic? You're right. But on the other, on the flip side of it, and I don't mean to be so negative, but shit seemed to get real kind of dark online. I'm, I'm sure you're, you're well aware. Where it seems like yeah. everyone was just like constantly like arguing and upset, and rightfully so. Recently, Allison and I went to an author con in Virginia, right? Um, yeah. An hour south of Richmond. And while there, it was like the great, and it was like our first event back in the world, right? It was like a complete love fest where like the readers and writers, and it was the warmest fucking experience. You can imagine. And meanwhile, and, and this is like a horror scene, right? Meanwhile, online, while we were there, there was like an eruption, like a scandal in the horror scene that resulted in a publishing house closing their doors. And, I, and I'm not saying it's wrong that, that they got in trouble or whatever. But what I am saying 
is that online, like I'm here I am in person with horror people, personalities, writers, readers, and it's like this incredibly warm experience. And at the same exact time in the horror scene online was all outrage and anger. Wow. And I couldn't help but feel like, wow, this is the biggest, like, this, I'm literally standing within, like, the biggest discrepancy, the difference between online and real life. Wow. That is a polar contrast. You know, and, and I think the one thing that I noticed over this time, you know, being in jazz radio and interviews, you know, I really amped up a lot over this time. I interviewed more than I ever did before. And you know what I noticed, man, is that all of you cats that are in the arts were really and are frontline workers. If we didn't get the chance to watch film, see these images of visual art, listen to music, can you imagine how dark it would have been down here? Yeah, and that and that um, speaks again to the to the you know the bright side of like this connection, this connectivity, this um, the internet is is what you're saying right now. Like, man, I really don't know what was two years have been like in 1983, where you're like the movie theaters are closed and 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 like you know you got a few channels on TV, maybe something good will come on, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I suppose we would have read a lot and 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 probably gone outside a lot <laughs> yeah we would have descended into kind of that caveman mode i was listening to a there's a podcast i just ran into and it's really good called here be monsters and uh this cat does like all of these he just delves into like very strange but very cool topics and one of them was there was a gal that was trying to recreate a column that was done in 1919 where they stood beneath the Brooklyn Bridge and asked everybody that came by, is the world a good place? And while they did this, they talked about what was going on in 1919. And this was actually done in 2019 before the pandemic. They had no idea. But they said at one point in New York when the Spanish flu was raging, they were told to not go out to theater, not to go anywhere. And New Yorkers said, fuck you. You're not cutting us off after a war and after all this blight. And they ended up saying, we're going to go out and do it anyway. And they had the lowest death rate in the world. 30 million people died and only 20,000 died in New York. And I had no idea. It's fascinating to think that. Yeah, I know. And you know? I, I, did not, I didn't know that either. But I have seen stuff like that, too, where I'm like, I'm like, what? I don't know. You know, I'm not a scientist enough to know what what these things mean between herd immunity, or is it just, or is it even partially like the spirit of a thing to, for like an entire city to be like, fuck it, like we're living and we're dealing with this rather than sort of living in fear of it. I don't, I don't know. I know that I personally, I was, I was fucking scrubbing groceries. I yeah. was, I you know, as a guy who writes novels, I didn't have to leave the house at all. Like, yeah, at all, because the only time Alice and I would go out would be like to go out. So if so, that was what was taken away from me. Like, we don't have kids, you know, what I mean, so it wasn't like we were the kids were missing some events or something. The biggest I guess you could argue the biggest thing that I missed out on would be like conventions and that in-person kind of thing. Otherwise, though, I missed out on like partying with friends, which that sucked and it was terrible. But I'm also very aware that other people missed out on much more than that. You know what I mean? But the interesting thing about how you roll is, is that the other side of your artistic ed is being on stage and feeding off of that live energy. So not having that, how much of that affected you that you didn't get the chance to feed that part of you being a rock musician? Well, 
a couple amazing things happened. So first off, um, and, and you kind of heard about people sort of going through their, you know, I don't want to say old boxes or something, but people going through their stuff, right? They're at home and they're like, oh, look what I, you know, I was reading an old book I wrote years ago, that kind of stuff. Well, our, our bass player wrote us and he was like, hey, guys, when's the last time you listened to Hannah? Now, Hannah was an album. I'll give you the briefest background here. We were living in New York for four years, and then we hit the road, and then we were like, we're going into the studio to record our first proper studio album, an album called These Are Good Times. So we have all the songs ready and all that, right? And we end up in the Detroit area, and we're kind of just staying at like a friend's mom's house, but the mom's not there, so we're staying in this house, right? And we have a few weeks until we go in to make that album, and, and we're already like, you know, super rehearsed. We've been on the road with them, this and that. So we're like, what do we do while we wait to make these are good times? Well, do you guys want to make a different album, like on our own? <laughs> so we recorded an album we called Hannah. And we were we would Mark and I would write the songs the day before. The next day we'd learn them, we'd record it. It was a this really great experience. Then we go in the studio, we make these are good times. That album comes out on a label, it's reviewed in Rolling Stone, we're touring, Mark leaves the band, blah blah blah. All this stuff. And Hannah just got like lost. In the flow, like, wait, it was just something we did. So during this pandemic, like almost 20 years later, like 18 years later, Chad writes us, when's the last time you guys listen to Hannah? And we're like, oh, man, Jesus, 20 years? And he sends it to us, and we're all like, oh, shit, wait, this is, this is better than the album we went and made. Like, when we were just freely recording on our own in a friend's mom's, uh, a friend's mom's empty house, this there was a, there's like a liberty or a, a what do you call it like a creativity it's like so colorful and fun and you can tell that we weren't trying to do anything which is oftentimes the best well i guess both yeah you know, many varieties of what a great album might be but but in our case it was just it's obvious that it's very free right yeah so i contact the label that we had worked with over the years told him about it and he was like yeah let's put it out and so we ended up Having Hannah mixed and mastered, we got cover art from our new, like a member that wasn't there then but is now. So that was cool. He got to be kind of involved in that way. He did the cover. And and then all of a sudden, we're, we have the release show is, is next month for Hannah. And wow. Yeah, I know. So it's this amazing moment. And I'll send you like a link and stuff. But it's an amazing moment for us. So we, and we had a former member that was in on this. So all of a sudden, we had a big project to do during the pandemic and not only that because that former member is in, member is involved and we're emailing back and forth and whatever me and that member were like hey what if we recorded a new album why don't you burko is his name why don't you fly in from la we'll all do it at my house and and we did we the, the, wow. the band got got together so not that little message from chad when's the last time you heard hannah resulted in two new albums one old one but two new albums from us, Hannah, plus the one that we recorded in my house with, like, really any member that's ever been in our band. So the music side, you know, we, we yes, I missed the shows, and we have that show next month. I missed the shows and this kind of thing, but at the same time, we really, we really got a lot of music done in, during the last couple of years. That is pandemic serendipity, man. I know. I, it's really, and you know, as a musician, right? Like, you know what a feeling, like, to finish an album, to work on an yeah. album, to be working with bandmates on an album, to, 
that camaraderie of that. And now, you know, you, we asked, like, what would we have done in 1980 to 83 or whatever? Well, I guess I would have done something similar to that. Yeah. But, you know, again, the Chad... Chad instigated that whole thing, and it's like, thank fucking God. You know, I, I want to tell you from my perspective, just being just a, a regular guy here, that, you know, after we interviewed, you had mentioned Sandra Bullock, the movie, and it was in the works. It was nothing, nothing was happening yet. And, and I can tell you from my perspective, I hear about this movie, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see it. And then it's like, it comes out, and it's number one, and everything steamrolls and continues to steamroll. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I, I've, I've talked to Josh. What's happening? Like, how is this? And I'm curious from your perspective, like, how did this fame, how did this level of tsunami attention change and affect your life now that we're talking in 2022? What happened? Well, a lot, right? A lot. Because, God, there's so where to begin. One of the, I'll start here maybe, is that, you know, I'm 46. So that means this movie came out when I was like 44, right? Yeah. And I didn't, you know, the book didn't even come out until I was 39. Didn't get a book deal until I was 37. So I do think that had all that happened when I was like 25 or something, maybe that would have changed me more or something, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I don't know, for better or for worse. Like, I don't want to like rip on my younger self either, but I, I don't, you know, give him some credit, I think, to myself now. But I do know this. At this age... I was, I am fully aware of how um, unlikely all that was, how rare all that was, and like every second is like gratitude. Every second. Then when I think of Bird Box and what happened with the book, with the movie, it's complete gratitude. And I'll have interviews sometimes where someone's like, oh, I'm sure you don't want to talk about Bird Box. I'm like, are you kidding me? Bird, like, Bird Box is my best friend. It's like yeah. the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And, and like, yeah. And someone will say, like, you know, like, what if you're only remembered for one book? You know, you get stuff like that, you know. And I'm like, uh, okay, okay, happy to be remembered at all. You know, it, it, I'm very. Again, I think it's because you know, 44, 46, these kind of things. It's like, dude, I am well. I, I, and during the whole time it was happening, with like Kim Kardashian like tweeting about it and all this shit, right? <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm very aware of like this is incredible this is this is super rare josh be grateful for every second of this and one of the most interesting moments i had was so alice and i went to a premiere in los angeles and we're stayed at this really nice hotel that they put us up in and while we're waiting for the car to come take us to that you know um man's chinese theater i mean it's just a real deal right yeah um and while we're waiting alice is getting ready and i'm just standing in sort of like the the common room, the living room of the of the hotel room, of the hotel, and I'm just like literally standing still, staring at the carpet for like 40 minutes. I couldn't even move. I was so scared because I knew I was going there, and I was supposed to like go backstage and hang out with the cast and everybody. And I was like, oh my god, I'm so fucking scared. I'm gonna like go be hanging out with like Sandra Bullock and Machine Gun Kelly and like Jackie Weaver and like like all these. You know, I didn't even know exactly who would be there and who wouldn't. Right? Yeah. And I was so fucking scared, man. I couldn't even move. The car arrives. Allison's ready. We drive there. I can't talk on the way over there. We get out. We walk in the theater. And then there's like kind of like a handler that we each are like issued like a handler. Like a woman walks up to Allison. A guy walks up to me, whatever it is. And they're like, you know, so you, you want to go down to the green room? And I'm like, oh, my God. Like losing my mind, right? Like horrified. 
Yeah. And then, so this is where this is all leading. It's like, go into that room. Allison went first, and I was almost too scared to enter. And I go into that room, and immediately, almost immediately, I realized that everyone back there was, like, my kind of people, like weirdos, artists, yeah. creative types, like, like um, bright, colorful personalities, funny. <laughs> they were funny. They were making jokes. They were drinking wine. They were, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I belong here. Like, yeah. where I, maybe, maybe where I don't really belong or don't make as much sense is like when, when, when I went out and met the six, produ- six producers and everything. And, and I'm not saying uh, that that was bad. I'm just saying like the business side was like, holy cow, what's this? But the, the artistic side, I was hanging out with fucking artists. Yeah. And, it, and yeah. that was one of the biggest sort of eye-opening experiences for me was that I was so scared to go hang out with kind of like-minded people. Yeah, I feel like I learned something major in that moment about fame. Not, not, not fame for me, but about, like, you know, fa- like famous people or something. And I learned something about, like, when, you know, anxiety. Like, holy cow, you were so nervous, Josh, for something that was, like, literally tailor-made for you. And, and, and there was something, like, there was a lesson there, like a good one, like a healthy one. So that was huge. That was that to me is almost that moment is almost bigger to me than even what happened with the movie and stuff, because something happened there where it was like you belong here, not you belong to be on top of the world, but you belong amongst artists and you belong amongst like creative people, and that that sort of that's a sort of confidence, um, like a base root confidence that can carry you for the rest of your life. If you're a writer, if you're an actor, if you're a director, because you're not, there's no, you know, I'll see some people post about imposter syndrome and how they have it. And, I, and I'm always thinking like, no, I, I do not have that. It's not there. I feel like I belong there. You belong there. The person tweeting that belongs there. There's room for everybody. Like there's no, um, there's no uh, secret cadre of like people that actually belong there and you don't you don't fit in. no 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 if you're a if you're a writer you're an artist you're a music you belong there and and when i mean there all i mean is like sure you could have the number one album in the world you could have you deserve your albums are as viable as important as any album ever made whether or not it sells as much that that doesn't that's not even a part of the equation let's let's not even worry about that so that moment somewhere in the course of Bird Box, the movie, and, and and all that excitement, rather than me walking away with sort of like a big head, like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm amazing or something like that, rather than that, it was more like this sort of confirmation of what you're doing and what you've been doing for 20 years. And it's like, yes, you, be, you belong amongst creative people. You're having an, a very unlikely and amazing moment with it. Be internally grateful for that. But what really matters here is that there is no imposter syndrome. There is no secret club. You have devoted your life to writing and writing music, and you belong in this room as much as any of these people. That's beautiful. It's like crossing that that fear bridge and getting to, like, a higher level of, like, a Maslow, like a self-actualized level of who you are. It's just confirming and and not feeling afraid. It's almost as though you got an uh, invincibility cloak. Like, you, you just don't have to be afraid anymore because you just know who you are. Yeah, it it did something in that way. Like, and, and now, you know, like I said, when I see someone online, like, you know, I feel like I don't belong or this or that. I, I think to myself, like, the first thing that crossed my mind is, you do, you do belong, you do, you do. And so do I, and so does everybody. And like, well, anybody that's 
you know, devoted their life to it or, or writing books or writing music. You, you're an artist. Welcome. Welcome. You're an artist. <laughs> yeah. To piggyback yeah. off of that, let's say you have a dream tonight and you run into your younger version of yourself, say in your early to mid-20s. And based on what you've learned up to this point, all of the wisdom that you've accumulated, and you could tell your younger version one thing, one piece of advice, what would you tell that version? Well, I feel like that guy did some key things right in that um, I remember once when we were living in New York, we were at a party, and um, the High Strong had just like recorded, a, we were recording something else, and I was talking about wanting to write a book, and and there was this older guy, probably younger than you and I are now, but he seemed older, and he was probably like 35, you know. And he, a little drunkenly, like said to me, man, you, you need to slow down, man. You are going to burn out. And I was like, what? And I was just excitedly talking to my drummer about, hey, let's record, you know. Let's, let's, I'm going to want to work on this book, you know. And, like, he was like, you are going to burn out. Like, you're, you know, you have all these ideas and all this. Like, you need to, like, slow down. And rather than, like, accepting that guy's, like, bizarre, um, completely uninformed opinion, I sort of solidified something in my head right then that was, like, don't listen to this guy. This, this older guy and this, this guy that's, like, more stylish than you and lives in New York City longer than you and he's older and he, he's doing better than you in life, don't listen to this guy. He's telling you to, like, slow down and, like, fucking don't. So I... Probably to that guy, if I walked in the party after that guy, I would be like, I would expedite <laughs> the trip from thinking don't listen to that guy to being 100% comfortable with being um, a prolific artist. And I would like tell myself, like, don't get, like, no need to be self-conscious. Just keep going, going, going at the pace you're at. Keep it up. If you stay in motion, you may not end up where you think or dream you'll end up. But by, by virtue of being in motion, you will end up somewhere. So stay in motion. Do what you're doing. Don't fret over what you're doing. That's the advice I would give him because he did some key things right. He kept going and he kept writing and kept doing it. But there was a lot of like, what am I doing? We're not, you know, like you're, I've been broke for years now. Like this is horrifying, right? But you keep doing it. I would tell him like, hey, get rid of, get, get rid of the unnecessary worry shit. What you're doing is great. Go out, drink. Try to, you know, meet people, write another song tomorrow, try to write that book. You're going to get there, that kind of thing. Amen. So, you know, the one thing, too, especially with, with everything that's gone on in your life up to this point, everyone has a perception of who they think you are. I mean, your family has one, your friends have another, your fans. But you live your life. You know who you are. Who do you think you are? Well, I, I think that I am, I think that I'm like an optimist. And, and the root of it all. And, and I think there's a big difference. I know there's a big difference between being optimistic and being naive. The naive person doesn't know the score. The optimist knows the score, but chooses to make progress upon it, like to better things, to keep going, to try new things, to get over bad things faster. Like these are conscious efforts. I don't, I think oftentimes when someone hears, he's positive or he's an optimist or that they imagine someone who's sort of um blind to the realities of, of the world blind to the pain of of the world or the frustrations of self-torture and loathing of being an artist right no 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 no. all of that is there but the optimist says okay we can we can do it still like whoo this is this is fucking hard right like we've been in a van for fucking six years we're playing for 20 people that's all right that's all right let's keep going let's keep writing songs let's 
Let's keep playing this as, you know, like what's the brighter side of everything I just described? We're playing all of our songs in a different city every night. Who cares who's there or not? We're writing new songs to play in front of people. So I think that it sounds a little blanket to say, I'm an optimist, but I think that that identity, that pillar of identity has, has gotten me like really, really far in terms of how do you react if one of your books doesn't sell that well? How do you react if um, uh, the fans didn't really love, love a book that you loved of your own? How do you re react to the band, uh, the pandemic? How do you react to the pandemic? Um, well, me and my band, we made these two albums. I wrote a book live. Do you see what I mean? So I think that, yeah, I think that there's, I'm an optimist. And then I think the other, another pillar would be, and this came more with age, is the older I get, the more I feel like, like mindfulness or kindness is a bigger barometer of intelligence than almost anything else. If you meet someone like our age who is genuinely kind, th again, that is something they ha they work to become. You know, if they're genuinely mindful and like it's like they they are aware that this is that we have one life that that other people have feelings, there's empathy, there's these things. I, I I'm almost beginning to think that, or I've already come to believe that somewhere in there is real intelligence because it's fucking hard in this day and age to, with everything going on and with social media and where you have, you know, at, at your fingertips, you can yell out any snarky opinion you want, right? And it's hard to sort of, you know, what's the right word? Like resist like those kind of like shittier urges or something. Yeah. And, but if you let it like kind of go, you're like, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. And then like two minutes later, you feel like yourself again and you're like, God, I'm so fucking glad I didn't like bark at that person for no reason in, in the line in the grocery store, this kind of thing. What's that guy going through today? The guy that yelled, yells at you online or yells about, you know, who knows, like Trump even, he yells about Trump or something and loves him or something. What's that guy going through right now? And I think that if you couple that optimism with this sort of mindfulness, like be, truly be kind to others, I think somewhere in there, like if you can establish those root pillars, God, you can do a lot. You can have a lot of fucking fun on top of all that. Oh, man. Yeah, that's so well said, dude. I mean, it's, it's really nailing down the art of empathy. I mean, we are all swimming in this soup, you know? And yeah. you're totally right, man, because it fucking does take work. If you really want to be cool and be accepting, you, you do. And I think that's the thing that I've always noticed. That's why I was asking about post-movie Bird Box coming out, because you have been you just are so grounded man you're just you it's the the level of appreciation and genuinely being in the moment radiates from what you do it's very evident well that is amazing to hear i i think you know okay here's a here's another one because again i love that you're about to be 50 or you are because it puts us in the same exact age age bracket and so there's a lot of like new things happening in the world with identity, with what's the right phrase? Just like political views, like like a lot of like new things have are happening, right? And I'm yeah. very aware, very fucking aware that this is the moment in time that if I'm not open to to listen, just listen to everything around you, listen to it, then this could be the moment where you turn into like like an asshole old man. <laughs> this could be that not not that we're old men. But this could be right. the path to that if at this moment you're like, oh, my God, these young people are so fucking dumb or, or, or these people are, like, hysterical or this or that. Like, yep. no, 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 hold on, hold on. There's a new generation of people. And I think Biden said in an early speech to, like, a young – it was, like, maybe, like, the Naval Academy or something. He said, like, you're the least prejudiced generation we've ever had. 
And I was like, yeah. holy fuck, he's right. Yeah. This current generation is the least prejudiced like generation ever that we've ever yeah. had. He's right. And and it was like, okay, so keep that in mind that the youth of today, Josh, keep in mind the youth of today is fucking smart, is going through their own shit, their own problems, their own fears. And I think that that's, a, that's another sort of pillar of maybe empathy or whatever it is we've, we've sort of begun to talk about, where it's like, keep an open mind to the next generations, not just like your friends or, or, or you know, works of art, but to the next like generation. Because if you don't, if you close your mind off to any element of this, you, you, you could start to be stuck in your ways and you don't, I just, I don't want to be that. I'm sure you don't either. It's like, it's like listening to the, uh, you know, classic rock station all the time. It's like, fuck that, man. I want to listen to it, so much new shit and ingest anything that I can that's going on. I remember being a Gen Xer too when the Douglas Copeland book came out and we were kind of chartering a new era. We were getting rid of that 50s mold of like, not being the nuclear family. It's like we were going to travel. We weren't worried about having kids at a certain age. We had this right. resin detro that was totally fucking different. So you're right. I see that as something that I continue because I have teenage kids now and I'll hear ah, things. Yeah. About, you know, and I hear that and part of me goes into this place where it's like, wow. And then I'm like, no, let's go. Let's see. And then I'm like, all right. Okay. Right. And I accept, <laughs> you know, like for instance, my, my stepdaughter who, so I have a special needs son, and he is on a whole different level than my stepdaughter, who's like, you know, 16 going on 30. She wanted to get an old cat, and she wanted it to get a cat that was at the end of its life, because we have a bearded dragon, four dogs, two cats, full of animals, three generations of women. The house is full of heartbeats. So she's like, can we get an older cat that we can give it a good life at the end of its life? And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, do we want to do this? And then I was like... Uh, maybe I had too much to drink that. I, I don't know. I was like, let's do it. Let's go. Let's do it. And yeah. we did. And the cat, his, his, her name's Franny, like fucking loves it there, dude. Like is totally happy. It's at the end of its life. But I, I didn't close any fucking doors saying, you know, it's going to be another animal. Right. Do we want to do this? It's like, let's just do it. Let me let this girl who's trying to figure the world out. Because when you do that, you, you erase the mistakes that you've made in your life by not understanding women or understanding other generations. You completely open the door up and say, you know what? I'm a part of this. Let's do it. Because that's just what you do, man. That story is so good. So fucking good. I'm going to probably be telling a lot of my friends that story um, over talks. You know, I'm going to talk about this interview and what you just said. So it's such a great fucking example because... It's, what you just said is, is a totally unique case. It's not um, in the news. It's not like, you know, uh, families are, are, are deciding whether or not to, you know, adopt um, cats at the end of their lives, right? So there's no, like, there's nothing there but an open mind or not or open to it or open to this suggestion. And, like, not only that, like, God, there's so much to that that is good. Like, how do you say it? Like, oh, like this. Like, you and I, like, let's not only keep an open mind, but let's not be hard on ourselves for not understanding everything all at once. Like, yeah. it's okay to be like, all right, all right, I'm leaving this door open. I don't get it yet. I don't understand why the daughter wants to bring in this older cat yet. I don't get it. But, uh, you know, and then by experiencing it, now you, now you get it. And so it's okay to, like, not understand everything all at once, not, to yeah. not make 
a full declaration or a closed-fisted decision all at once. And I feel like maybe we're talking as as two men who have, like, kept an open mind all the way to 50. And that's, like, that's kind of rare. Or or it, yeah. I, maybe it's not as rare as I think it is. But it, it feels like it's something that was is consciously being done. Like, I'm not just, like, you know, like some open-minded fucking marvel or something. I'm like, no, I'm aware... <laughs> Like you said, you didn't shut any door on that decision, and like no door was closed. I'm aware of leaving every fucking door open. And by the way, I carry that over into the business side of things. So Ryan Lewis, my manager, and I, we run a um, uh, production company now. Uh, we, in other words, we are producers on everything other than Bird Box. So Bird Box happened. Oh my God! Again, I'm I'm grateful for everything. Ryan and I weren't like Ryan actually was an executive producer on it. But we weren't like producers. We weren't part of the producer pile. We had no say, which is fine in that case. But we were like, let's, for now on, let's, let's be involved. And so we started a production company. And one of our main like tenets, our main object- object- objective is to never close a door. Even if a relationship, like, even if something wonky kind of happens, which we've had, like, there's been like three or four people we've worked with where you're like, oh, God, you know? Like, what, this is so, like, lame or so, like, wrong or don't burn that bridge. Don't close that door. And it's not just in a self-serving way. It's not just, like, who knows what they can give you down the road. It's not that. It's more like, let's keep what we're doing positive. Let's keep what we're doing forward motion, leaning forward, rather than bitter, closing doors, like, oh, this didn't work out. Fuck them. No, 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 no. Yeah, this didn't work out. Fuck them. But, you know, let's not close that door. <laughs> it's Ted Lasso, man. So it's like, you know what? You can push it through. But it's also like the house at the bottom of the lake. Those two young teenage lovers said there's no asking how or why. We're just yeah. living this, you know? Yeah. No how, no why, no let's, let's experience this. And, you know, like last night, Ryan and I had one of the greatest meetings we've ever had. It was for Daphne, the newest book of mine. And it was for the film side of it. And, th- and there was a screenwriter, a great one, who pitched us her vision of what the movie could be, right? And it was, like, literally the greatest fucking pitch I've ever, I've ever heard. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like... And I even said to her, I was like, fuck, like, there's a couple things that she added that are, I think are better than the book, you know? And I talked to her about that. I'm like, Jesus, man, I mean, if there's ever a sequel, I'm going to have to use all that shit. It's really good. Point is, though, so the last scenario or two scenarios ago, Ryan and I had, it didn't go that well. Can you imagine if you were like, oh, this is hard, or fuck Hollywood, or this or that, or close this door, or I don't want to do this meeting, or this or that, then we wouldn't have experienced the meeting we had last night. And I think that's, in, like, essence, that's the, the, the basis for the whole thing, is that what we experienced last night is because we're still, like you said, Ted Lasso plowing, we're getting through this, we're plowing through it. Because, yeah, this one sucks, the next one's not going to suck. Let's go. And that's it. I think that's the thing that's been so positive about this era of media with Ted Lasso coming out. It's like, we needed that so, so, so bad. In fact, I, I saw Ben, <laughs> ben Fold was in Lawrence a few weeks ago, and he was talking about way back in the day when uh, Jason Sudeikis was a student at KU, he used to load his piano up in his truck, and he was like, what a cool fucking guy. And I just think about, you know, that spirit of Sudeikis, 
has fueled this character. And it's like almost like art imitating life. It's such a great thing, man. You know, we had watched um, Squid Game, and which was great. Yeah. And Allison, yeah. but, but also really dark, right? And Allison yeah. was like, fuck, man, we need to watch something like Sun Brighter. Like we've watched like, <laughs> you know, 10 shows or 10 movies in a row that were super bleak, you know? And I went to bed. And then, then she woke me up like the next day. She was up all night, and she's like, "I, I, I found what we're, what you need to watch." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, what is it?" And she's like, "It's called Ted Lasso. It's about like a like a soccer coach." I was like, "What? Uh, okay." And I went and watched with alone what she had watched before, and I was like, "Oh my god, thank God, this is fucking exactly <laughs> what we needed, man." You know what's so weird? Weird trivia about that show. I want you to understand too. The team that Ted came from was Wichita State, and Wichita State does not have a football team. Way back in the day, the whole team got killed in a plane wreck, and they completely canceled the football program. Whoa. Because they canceled the game. There's a pall over Wichita, and they completely ended the football program that year, and they've never had it back. Because I'm from Kansas City, there's all these references to Kansas City because Sudeikis is from there, but that was the first one in that show. It's the subtext of art, you know? It's that's fucking wild. That, that's like giving Wichita State a football team when they don't have one because of tragedy. That's, like, unbelievable. I did not know that. Yeah, it's like shaking wow. the ghost awake. Yeah, it's like, right. you need to wake up. We need you. And there you go. And, and it's, it's cast in a great light, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, obviously, Ted Lasso is literally, like, positive, the show within itself. And the, then it's like, how do, how do we, guys like you and me, who are obviously enthralled with that show and, and with all the spiritual things we're discussing right now, or spirited, either way, like, how does one write a horror novel that could could inspire someone like that? How do you, it's like, hmm, you know, you or, or do you not even worry about it at all? And, and usually that's how I feel, is the sense of like, oh, you don't have to bring what we're talking about now into like your book. You, you know what I mean? The, the act of writing itself is, is optimistic, is, is making progress, is inspiring. But I did find a way to do it with Ghoul in the Cape, which was, like, it's it come out as a limited edition. There's like a thousand copies. I think it's I think it's sold out. And with that book, I finally found like um, a megaphone or not a megaphone, but a platform, whatever, to do both at once: to tell a scary story, to tell like a thrilling story, but also with characters who who are optimists, who are the things we're describing in this conversation. And it was it, it, it's a bit absurdism in a way like not quite I, I found like a lane and I, and I and I and I took it and the rough draft was 1100 pages long 1100 wow. 300,000 words dude like what like wow. it was insane I know and it was one of like the most liberating experiences of my life because it was like I was able to write about everything all at once like writing about horror writing you know a little absurdism some of it's funny but at heart optimist like traveling across the country and so i watched a show like ted lasso and i think to myself you know this is amazing this isn't exactly what i mean i wouldn't do this myself but then you're like well well you did find a way to do this so i don't know there, there's something in there as well it's almost like a lesson to be learned or a lesson that i learned as a horror author that like no 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 there is room for for this in here without it being cheesy like there is a way to write a, like an inspirational 
optimistic horror novel without it being like some cheesy that, you know, we end with hope. No, 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 not, not that, you know, where like optimism is in its bones, you know? That's what good art does. It just, it breeds good art from coming out of it. It emanates from it. And I think that's the thing. It's like the canon of good that's come out of the Ted Lasso experiment has been unbelievable, remarkable. I mean, a billion times better than that fucking Tiger King thing. You know, it's like there's right. actual really, you know. <laughs> right. Totally, dude. Right. Yes. Dude, I, I love the fact that we've deviated. I love to get to the marrow of, of who you are and what you are. But I want to get to the good business of, of, of the high strong. Uh, Daphne's coming out. What do you got going on right now? What can people get and look forward to from the world of Josh Mallerman? Well, Daphne comes out in September. Um, Ghoul in the Cave, I, again, I think is sold out, but maybe not. I, there may be some left. Uh, Pearl just came out somewhat recently in a hardcover. Um, that's when I'm, I'm very proud of that one because that's the kind of book where the book itself is way better than the pitch. So while, you know, while working on it, I'd be at the bar, friends like, what are you working on? You tell him you're working on a book about a telepathic pig that kind of runs the whole town, and you're like, "Fuck! What did I just say? Did I just say out loud that I'm writing a book about a telepathic pig?" Okay, <laughs> fuck, right? But the book itself is better than the pitch, and like, it's just a good fucking feeling. You might not get as many readers because, like, if it's an awesome pitch, right? But I, it's just like I'm proud of. It. So Pearl is out, Ghoul in the Cave is out, Daphne's coming up, uh, the band. We have a show uh, May 14th for Hannah. And that new album, I don't know exactly what to do with the one we recorded like just recently in my house, but going to be shopping it around. So that's, that's where we're at. Beautiful. Josh, man, so great to catch up with you. Hopefully we can do it down the line again. Good luck with everything, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode in the series of Famous Interviews with Joe Domino, where we give you a bit of insight into the best musicians and writers in Michigan, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe. And thanks to Josh for consistently being one of the coolest cats on planet Earth. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. And everything related to Joe Domino, go to joedomino.com. Until next time, enjoy the books and the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.